this morning is from Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 to 45. When he finally arrives, blazing in beauty and all his angels with him, the Son of Man will take his place on a glorious throne. Then all the nations will be arranged, arranged before him, and he will sort the people out, much as shepherd sorts out sheep and goats, putting sheep to his right and goats to his left. Then the king will say to the, those on the right, Enter, you are blessed by my father. Take what's coming to you in his kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation, and here's why. I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was homeless, and you gave me a room. I was shivering, and you gave me clothes. I was sick, and you stopped to visit. I was, I was in prison, and you came to me. Then no sheep who go to say, Master, what are you talking about? What did we ever, what, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you a drink? And when, when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will say, I'm telling the, the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things and someone overlooked or ignored, that was me and you did, did, it, did it to me. Then he will turn to the goats and the one on the left and said, get out worthless goats. You have good for nothing but the fires of hell. And why? Because I was hungry and you gave me no meal. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was homeless and you gave me no bed. I was shivering and you gave me no clothes. Sick and in prison, you never visited. <coughs> then those goats are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or homeless or shivering or sick or in prison and didn't help? He will answer them, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you fail to do one of those things or someone who has, got, who has been overlooked or ignored, that was me. You failed to do it, to, if you failed to do it to me, then those goats will be herded to their eternal doom, but the sheep to their eternal reward. Well, good morning. Thank you so, so much for having me here today. It is a privilege. I'm so excited. Um, as David said, I, I work for Compassion. I'm Regional Partnerships Manager, which sounds very grand. It feels like a bit like when you call a bin man a refuse collector, like it's this big grand title for something that, that is just amazing. So I have the privilege of getting to travel to churches like this on a Sunday and um, speak up for some of the children that we work with across the world. We work in 25 countries um, from Africa to Central America. Um, it is just wonderful. How good is it to be in church this morning? It is so good. I love local church. Compassion loves local church. We couldn't do what we do without local church. And um, I think, you know, as I've traveled and I go to lots of different buildings on a Sunday, you know, some of them have stained glass windows, some of them have tea and coffee, some of them have tea and cake after, which is like, yeah, someone's on honor then. Some, you know, they look so different. But, you know, at our heart, we are one. You know, we might worship in different buildings on a Sunday, but together, you know, we are, we are the kingdom of God. We are the place where God's kingdom, where heaven meets earth. You know, we are his hands and his feet here. And it is just such a privilege to be able to come and see different expressions of that um, every Sunday. And it's so, so, so good to be here with you all this morning. Can I just pray before I start? And um, we can just, yeah, because it's always good to put God first. So let's just pray. 
Father, I thank you so, so much for this community of believers here this morning. Father, I thank you for the welcome and the hospitality, Lord, and I just thank you for your presence here among us, Lord. Father, I pray that you'd use me as your mouthpiece this morning, Lord, that I would speak your words of blessing and encouragement, Lord, and, and maybe even challenge, Lord, to, to serve you here in this place, Lord, both locally and globally. Father, I pray that you'd give us ears to listen and open our hearts to what you have to say to us this morning. Amen. So, um, so who already knows a bit about compassion? Who, who has heard about compassion? Oh, that's quite a few. And does anybody already sponsor a child other than David and his family through compassion? Oh, excellent. Oh, Oh, okay. Oh, that's so exciting. I, I, I love, you know, other organizations who do what we do as well. It's so good to see how God works, works through regional mission organizations. And, um, I, I love Compassion UK. It's such a privilege to work for them. Um, our tagline, as you'll see on our posters, on our banners, on our profiles, is that we, our part, our mission is to release children from poverty in Jesus' name. And, you know, we kind of put out to marketing organizations, you know, as we were kind of re-looking at what we were doing and saying, you know, what could we do differently that would maybe help people to engage better in what it is that we do. You know, people, they got back to us and said, actually, you know, if you dropped it in Jesus' name part of your tagline, if you just want to say releasing children from poverty, then you will see your sponsorship numbers increase. You will see government aid coming in. You will see people wanting to work with you more if you dropped it in Jesus' name side of what you do. But you know, that is at the core of what we do. We couldn't do what we do without local church. We believe that real transformation doesn't come from feeding people. It doesn't come from helping them, you know, with their physical needs. It's from giving them the gospel. It's from saying, actually, you know what? Your circumstances might be so dire and so dark. You know, it might seem so hopeless just now, but if you have Jesus, you can be poor in the world's eyes and you're rich. You are the richest person in the world. So um, that's what we do. And um, as I've kind of said, we have a child sponsorship program. That is how, how, how we do that. So um, children enter the program from when they're sort of two years old and leave when they're 18. So it's like a huge, big, long span a long spanning thing. And um, as a child sponsor, um, you help pay for a child to go to school, pays for their school uniform, pays for school daughters, pens, pencils. It means that they can get a nutritious meal, that their family are taught about, you know, looking after themselves for their parents, if that involves things like family planning. Because, you know, in developing countries, you know, they, they don't have an idea of what it is to try and restrict the number of children that they have, which means that they have more children they can afford, which is just this vicious cycle, actually. So the more children are born, the more children are born into poverty because parents can't afford that. So, so it's like that. You know, we don't want to treat their children. We want to reach their families as well. And um, it means that they can access health care. You know, there are babies born, children who die, things like diarrhea. You know, we could go to Boots and buy some tablets and, and we'd be fine in a couple of days. But, you know, there are children dying are preventable, preventable causes, you know, that are, are, yeah. And it's just, it's heartbreaking when you kind of see these numbers. And extreme poverty is defined. There's lots of different definitions of poverty. We work with children living in extreme poverty, which is defined as less than having a dollar ninety to live on a day, which is about £1.50. And um, you just can't imagine, you can't imagine that. I spend more than that in a cup of tea if I'm out travelling. You know, I do a lot of travelling with work. And um, £1.50, you know, the, you, can, you can't buy a magazine for that. And there are people trying to live on that every single day. They, they just can't. And, you know, we sometimes think of poverty as, as a physical lack of something. It's a lack of food, it's a lack of money, it's a lack of clean water. And it is all those things. But actually, poverty is a spirit that rests on the people living in it. Poverty is a spirit that says, actually, you can never, you can never do the things that you want to do, the dreams that are in your heart. It says that they will always be hopeless, that there is no hope for them, that nobody sees them, nobody cares for them, that they will always be overlooked and ignored, like we were reading in that Bible verse. You know, people living in poverty, there are nearly 400 million children living in extreme poverty in the world today. Like, that number just blows my mind, nearly 400 million 
children living in extreme poverty today, living on less than £1.50. Every five seconds a child died of preventable causes because they didn't have the support there to help them. And you know, our heart is that one day no child will grow up living in extreme poverty, that no child will have to die because they couldn't get the medicine that they didn't, that they needed, that no, every child will have the opportunity to go to school, to access vocational training, to be able to go to university, to be able to become all that God made them to be. But more than that, we want to see them all come to know Jesus. And actually last year, 160,000 children gave their lives to Jesus through attending a compassion project and responding to the gospel, which is just incredible. 160,000 children have a savior. They, they know Jesus, they, they know him, they love him, and they're walking with him. And that's all because of ordinary people like you and me doing something amazing and sponsoring them through compassion. So it's a real privilege to be part of it. I love my job. I started, that was kind of spring last year. And um, it's just amazing seeing how God moves moves through people and changes the lives of these children and to see the relationship that's kind of built up there. You know, when you sponsor a child, you're able to send them letters and they, and they write to you and just building up this relationship with them and kind of hearing how you can pray for them and, and for their family. They, they send me drawings and um, I sponsor three children. And um, it is just a, such a privilege. You know, I don't have any my own children, but it's so lovely. They're kind of my three, my three faraway children. And um, it's so lovely to kind of celebrate their birthdays. One of them has the same birthday as me. And um, just to have this, have this relationship, because I think we can hear 400 million children and we can kind of think that it's just so big, we can't grasp how many that is. You know, these children don't have faces to us really, it's, it's just a number. But when we actually have a one-on-one relationship with a child like that, we actually have somebody we can pray for and we can change the lives of that child completely, we can transform it. And I've got a video I'm gonna show you a bit later on that will just sort of give you a little, a little glimpse of that. Um, as part of my job, I get to travel to some of the countries that we work in. So I've been to Tanzania, which is actually where all the children I have with me this morning are from. They're from um, Tanzania. They live very near to Mount Kilimanjaro. Um, they're all living in the same community in, in Tanzania. So, um, and it's, so I've been there, and back in October, I visited Uganda, um, which was amazing. It was kind of my first trip since I've worked for Compassion. And um, it's incredible. We take church leaders out and take churches like this one out to go and visit the children that they sponsor. And um, this was a church leaders trip and they're always so impactful. I think, you know, I can talk about it and I can share about the work that we do. But when you're actually there and you're in the country and you're meeting the children, you're seeing where they live, you're visiting the projects and you're seeing the incredible difference. You're meeting the babies and then you're meeting Compassion graduates who, who have been right the way through the programme and who are now doing incredible things, like they're lawyers, they're doctors, they're pastors, they are just thriving, and that's all been through compassion, and it's just a privilege to see. But actually, the most impactful moment for me, when we were over the last time, we um, got there really late at night. And has anybody been to Africa before? Has anybody been? You'll know how crazy the traffic is. You'll kind of be sitting there, and you'll be, there'll be a donkey crossing the road, and there's like cars coming from all directions. You're thinking, you're just kind of sitting there, eyes shut, just praying, thinking, okay, Jesus. Just get me to where I'm going to go safely because it is just crazy. So we were, it must have been 11 o'clock at night and we were sitting in our bus, we were on our way to the hotel and um, we heard this tap, we were stopped in traffic and we just heard this tapping on the side of the bus and we all kind of looked like, what, what, what's that? And just tapping, it was kind of moving around the bus, somebody tapping on the windows and then we looked out because the curtains were shut and um, we looked and there were these two little boys standing at the side of the bus and there must, there must have been like six and the youngest must have been about four, there were the two of them. And they were standing with this big basket of bananas. And you know, this was about 11 o'clock at night. This is a busy, busy road. This is way busy. This is probably the equivalent of the A9 through Uganda. This was just, there were cars everywhere. There were, they were just standing in the middle of this road with this basket of bananas. 
and we have in-country guides that kind of lead our trips when we're over. Um, they, they kind of they know the church communities that we're working in and things. And he says, oh, you know, they've, they've been sent out to, to beg. You know, they, they, they are children who are, who are living in, you know, the slums, that are huge slums in Uganda. And they'd actually been sent out to go and try and sell these bananas to get, to get money. And this was 11 o'clock at four years old. I remember just seeing these two, two little boys just so desperate, so, just desperately begging. And it just, I just, I remember just my heart breaking for them. Because I thought, this is so late, and I thought of the four and six-year-olds I know here, and I thought, you know, they'd be tucked up in their bed. They've probably had their bath, their bedtime story. You know, they've had their supper before they've gone to bed. And, and they, they have that, and they here these two little boys standing in the middle of a busy road having to beg because they don't have anything else. Their, their parents had no other option but to send them out to do that. And... and there was just something about that that just really hit home for me. And I remember it bothered me the whole way to the hotel. And I was like, I'm going to have to pray for them. God, something, you'll know that as well. God just gives you a burden to pray. And um, I was just like, I need to pray for these boys. I need to pray for them. I remember prayers like, God, God, I don't even know. I don't know their names. I couldn't pray for them by name. But I heard God whisper to me, actually, I, I, I do. I know there are nearly, I said, there's nearly 400 million children in the world living in extreme poverty today but God knows each and every one of them. He knows each of them by name. He knows each hair that is on their head. He knows the plans and the purposes he has for them. And you know, the world would say to us, where, where is God when there are children having to beg for bananas at the side of the street, when there are babies dying, when, when there, all this awful stuff is happening? But you know where God is? If you're sitting here and you are saved and then his blood flows through your veins, then you are the church. God lives in me and he lives in you. And we have a responsibility to, be, to reach out, to be his hands and his feet and his mouthpiece for those children and to change their lives. Because, you know, the resources are in our, they're in our hands. You know, God has given us so, so much. You know, I think if you earn, I can't remember what the percentage is, but I, I'm pretty sure that everybody here is in the richest 1% of people in the world because we have so much. You might, you might think, oh, but you know what? I can't afford to get for dinner this month. It's, it's a bit tight. You know, I've, I've had loads of birthdays this month. You know, it's, I'm not sure I could go out for that coffee. But actually, we are so rich. We have been given so much, and we have a responsibility to steward what we've been given well. I know I was reading, thank you so much, Christopher, for reading that verse. That was so, so good. It's, it's lovely having it read, because so often I'll come and I'll have to read it, and I, I love reading it, but it's so lovely to kind of have another voice coming into it too. And, you know, we can, we can talk about what we're doing as a church. You know, as a church, we can say, actually, we, you know, we have this amazing building. You know, we have this great sound system. You know, we, ha- we have really great cake after church. You know, we have a great youth program. We are, you know, we, we do so many great things that make our church seem really cool, that this is going to get people in. But actually, our church isn't going to, the church as a church globally, we aren't going to be defined by how good our Sundays looked, by how good our Sundays sounded. We are going to be defined here. The thing that Jesus says is going to define his people when we're standing face to face with him is how we reached out to the overlooked, to the forgotten. That's that's the thing. That is the key. That is is the gospel. We just have to look at Christmas. Sorry, I don't know if it's too early or too late to reference Christmas. But we just have to look at how Jesus was born. You know, he was born among the lowly. He was born in a stable. You know, that stable would have been really dirty and messy and smelly. He could have been born in a palace. But, you know, Jesus was born in that stable. And that wasn't an accident. I believe that God, God planned that right from the beginning so that we would know, so that the poor could take courage, knowing that no matter how dark and hopeless, because that manger would have been stinking. Like, that stable would not have been a nice place to have been born. 
But for Jesus to have come, for him to have been Emmanuel, God with us, in the mess, in the brokenness, in the dirt at that stable. You know, that's true for us today, that there is nobody too broken, there's no situation too messy or too dark, that God can't reach out and change, that his light, he isn't with us in that place. And we have a duty and responsibility to do that. We have a responsibility, church, to feed the hungry, to give water to the thirsty, to make room for the people who need it, to put clothes on people's backs, to visit the sick and to reach out to those who are in prison. Like, and that's not just something for some people. That's not just a command that we've been asked to do sometimes or when it's ready. You know, I get that there's challenges in it. I get that, you know, when you're, if you have a young family, it's difficult to find the time. I get that you might think that you're too young to make a difference. So you can be sitting thinking, oh, but God, I'm, I'm so young. I, I, can't, I can't do that. Or maybe you think you're too old. You think you're too old for God to use you. And there's so re- many reasons that we would actually put that off. I'm so good at procrastinating. I'm so good at saying, oh, I need to get around to that one day. I'm still driving around in a car that I've not changed the time since the cops went back in autumn. I'm kind of just holding off now. <laughs> I'm just going to hold off till spring that'll be right time again. <laughs> but I think we could be so good at just putting things off and actually saying, I'll get around to doing it. I'll get around to doing that one day. But I think it's Ecclesiastes 11.4 in the New Living Translation. It says that farmers who wait for perfect never weather never plant. That sometimes we can be waiting around for so long for all the conditions to be right, for everything to be the right time, for everything to look for us to be in the right circumstances, the right situation, that actually we can be waiting so long to do the right thing, to do the thing that God has called us to do, that we never actually do it. That before we know it, the time's gone. That person we're going to visit who was sick, they're, they're either not sick anymore, we missed out on the chance to reach out to them when they were here on earth. That those people who were hungry, those people who needed us then, that we've missed the boat. And you know what, there's a real challenge to me in that, because I think the people, you know, I, I, I work, what I, I do what I do for a job, and I love it, and, I, and I'm speaking out over that, but I think, actually, God, what can I do locally? There's so much challenge in that locally, you know, do you have a neighbour who sits in the house of their own, who, who never is seen, who's overlooked and forgotten? who maybe doesn't see anybody week in, week out, and is just sitting on their own. Maybe it's an I, I older people's home who you could go and visit and stay with them. Maybe there's somebody in prison that you could go and visit. I know that sounds really extreme. I don't know if anybody here knows somebody in prison. But you could go and visit somebody. There's a challenge for us to do those things because now's, now's the time. Not, let's not wait. Because I think one of the biggest lies of the enemy, actually, is when we believe that we, we can wait till tomorrow, So I think for as long as we're just holding off and procrastinating on things that God has told us to do, we're actually, we're we're ineffective as a church. You know, we are called to fight. We are called to speak up and to stand out. And for as long as we're not taking action, for as long as we're just sitting on the sidelines, then actually, you you know, we're not, we're not the soldiers in battle we've been called to be. We're spectators in a fight. It's like we're sitting around a boxing ring watching this fight going on. And there is a fight. We can, we can we see it happening. You know, there is so much brokenness, so much hurt, so many voices shouting in one voice. But actually, as a church, we can roar because we know that Jesus is at our heart. We know that we are on the winning side. You know, victory is ours, but we have to take action now. We have to be a church that speaks out and steps up and does the thing that God's called us to do. That we reach out with our sword raised and we see, yes, God, not, not in my name are there going to be children dying because they can't get medicine. Not in my name is somebody going to be sitting their own on Christmas Day without somebody there to be with them. Not in my name is this going to happen because that is going to be how people see God in those places. You know, let's not be a church that has, has people asking, where is your God? Where is God when this is happening? 
because actually he's here. He is alive among us. We, he is in every single one of us, and we have a duty and responsibility to act, to act like that, to be his church, to be his people. Let, let's not wait. Let's start fighting, and let's be a community that see that difference happening, because you can change the world. You, it sounds completely crazy to think that you can. Makes it sound like you're a secret hero, but you can. Like you can change the world one person at a time. And by changing the life one person at a time, we say, always say that compassion, that in changing the life of a child, you change the life of their family. And in changing the life of enough families, you can change the life in a region. And in changing enough regions, you can change countries. And then change enough countries, you can change the world. You know, when there are two million children sponsored through Compassion just now, two million children's lives have been completely changed, two million families. And, you know, we, we believe that, you know, we are going to see communities, regions, countries transformed, all because ordinary people like us, I, I say ordinary, but you know what? God lives in us. We are extraordinary people. You know, on our own, we can't do anything. But God gives us what, he doesn't leave us. Say, actually, I've been calling you to do this, but I'm not going to give you what you need to fulfill it. He, he, he doesn't say that to us. He actually says, you know, I'm, I'm going to equip you for what I've called you to do. You know, we might look at this, we might read this and say, oh, you know, this is so hard, and there's a cost involved in it. There's always a cost. You know, following Jesus, there is a cost. We are called to pick up our cross and follow him. And um, I think there is a cost. There's a cost in time. There's a cost in going and spending time with somebody who, who needs to spend time with them. But actually, for every day that we are alive, that's a gift from God. If there's breath in your lungs today, then every breath you take is a gift from God in your life for a purpose. You are not here to just sit on the sidelines waiting on other people to do it. You are here. You are still here. You are here with a plan, and God has a plan and a purpose for your today. Every day that you have, God has a plan for it. And if, if our time, if our lives are a gift from God, then it's only right that we give them back to him and say, actually, God, it's not mine anyway. <laughs> my life's not my own. You know, thank you. But, you know, I want, I want to give it to serve you. You know, and financially, there's a cost as well. There's a cost in feeding the hungry. There's a cost in clothing people. There's a cost in, in, in doing it. There is a financial cost. But actually, everything we've been given comes from God. It, you know, if you have a job, every penny we have been given, if, if you don't have a job, everything you have comes from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. And actually, if we've been given that by God, shouldn't we, shouldn't we live like that with an open hand and to steward what he's given us well? I could, I could go into the Bible about, about that as well. But we have a responsibility to steward what we've been given well and actually say, God, I'm going to hold this with an open hand. This, this, is, this is yours. And, you know, honouring God with what we have too. And um, it's hard. You know, it's, it's hard because it means we need to step out of our comfort zone. It means that we need to step out and do something that's going to cost us. But, you know, the rewards are so much greater. And, you know, we, we can hear that, you know, reading this verse. And, you know, whenever you failed to do one of these things to someone who has been overlooked or ignored, that was me. You failed to do it to me. And I remember reading that the first time. I was like a sucker punch. Like, oh, my goodness. You know, every time you've failed to do it, when you've had the opportunity to do it, you've failed to do it for Jesus. And I remember, it's like, Jesus just being so blunt in that. You know, this, this is at the core of the gospel. The gospel isn't complicated, really. What it means to be church isn't complicated. It looks like this. It looks like reaching out to the overlooked and the ignored. And I don't know who they are in your world today. I don't, I don't know who they are. But can I just encourage you? I don't know if you're sitting here today and there's a face at the front of your mind or there's a name. I, you know, I have 13 children with me today. They all have a name. You know, poverty would say to them that they, that they don't, that they, that they have no hope. 
that they will never be able to come, the things that they want to be. Actually, you do. You can reach out to one of them this morning. I've got little Nazra up here with me today. She has a really cool skirt. I, I, I'm, I'm loving the tutu. But um, you can reach out to a child like Nazra this morning and say, poverty might say to you that you are overlooked, that nobody sees, that nobody cares. But actually, I see you. I'm going to choose to reach out to you and then right where you are. And I'm going to show you that Jesus loves you. And I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to invest in you. And I'm going to love you and encourage you. And yeah, it is life-changing church. And I, and I can't, yeah. I'm going to let Richmond tell you his story now, actually. So if you could get that video, it's about five minutes long. Um, and hopefully they'll just give you a little idea um, of what that really looks like. So... When I was eight years old, my father was taken away from us, and by that I mean he was murdered. Nothing was the same for me. News began to come to our doorstep. From our landlord, we got word that we couldn't stay in the house that we stayed anymore because we couldn't afford it. My mother had no job. My father was the only breadwinner. We moved from where we stayed to a place called Naguru Kasenke, which is one of Uganda's largest slums. And then I was introduced to our new home, which was a 12 by 12 room. I looked up on the roof. It was a tin roof that had holes in it. I've been to places where when it rains, people are happy. They get excited. But for me growing up, whenever it rained, that was a night that we would stay standing. Get little buckets, place just where the halls and the roof are, and wait until morning. A reality hit me that day. This was life. I remember when my mom said to us, there was no money for food. That ushered us into a place where we were now going to begin to go to the street to fend for food. Hunger began to set in, lack of water. I was a kid, I, I didn't have time to be a child anymore. As I lived like this on a daily basis, poverty began to speak to me as a child. I felt I was nothing. I didn't matter. Nobody cared to know my name. I think the best way I could describe who I was and what I thought is the word hopeless. My mother, in tears, uh, approached one of her friends just to share with her friend, and her friend shared with her about compassion. Compassion staff members immediately came to our home. Uh, I remember them coming with uh, just uh, files to, to, to get details of who we were, what our story was. I got the news that a young lady, Heather, she was 15 years old, a teenager. She had decided to sponsor me. I cannot find the words to describe the joy that filled our home when we got the news. Richmond, you've got a sponsor, which means you can now go back to school. It means food will be given to us because of you. I began to walk into that reality that ushered in me an opportunity
to rekindle this hope that was taken away. Heather began to write to me. To hear words like, Richmond, I love you. Richmond, I'm praying for you. They began to bring healing into places that were destroyed by voices and poverty and my self-image. I remember my day, June the 3rd, 1996. I walked forward to accept the Lord Jesus in my heart. I began to feel, wow, I have been released from poverty. I have been released. God began to continue to grow the leadership within me. And then I felt fully called to pursue pastoral ministry. I began the Pastors Discipleship Network, a ministry that exists to train and equip pastors. And I spend a lot of my life training and equipping pastors in the Word of God. Looking back into my life and thinking where I am right now and what I'm doing, I don't think any of this would have been possible without compassion. Compassion works. Everything that was placed within the program has helped build me to who I am right now. Poverty is not just the lack of money, the lack of material, food and water. Poverty is in, it's deep. I credit a lot of how I feel now about myself to those letters that I received from my sponsor. My name is Richmond Wandera, and I was released from poverty in Jesus' name. I love that video. I've seen it so many times. It's like, oh my goodness, it is incredible. And as we thought, no, actually, when I was in, in Uganda, we met the kind of head of country. And we heard that there are now 500 churches part of Richmond's Pastors Discipleship Network. And each one of these is going to be a local church compassion partner. So there's going to be a compassion project at each one of those 500 churches. And 250 children are compassion. Now, I can't do that maths, but two, 500 times 250 is a lot of children. And that's all through that one person, that 15-year-old girl who made that decision to sponsor Richmond when she, like, she could have had so many other priorities. I know when I was 15, I, I didn't sponsor children when I was 15. You know what, I, I'm pretty sure, you know, there, there's a lot, that buys a lot in Andos, actually, you know, to make the decision to say, actually, I'm, I'm going to do that. But, you know, I think when we step out and we don't wait for the one day, we can completely change the life of a child church. And, you know, it costs £25 a month to sponsor a child through compassion. But, you know, broken down, if you have 83p left in your pocket, or if you're anything like me, it's in the back of the couch or somewhere in your car, if you have 83p left in your pocket at the end of a day, then you can do this. You can do it. You know, and there can be so many thoughts thinking, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can. 83p a day. Like, I don't even know if you can buy a pint of milk for that, or a loaf of bread, a can of juice. You can do it. And it's something that's not just going to have an impact on the, child of a, the life of a child now. Not just impact a family's life now. But it's going to change their life for eternity. There will be people that you'll meet in heaven who will come up to you and say, I'm here because you chose to make that day, that your one day. That you chose to speak out for me. That you chose to reach out to me by name and say, I choose you. You know, church, we can do it, but we need it to happen. We need everybody to work together. We have to come together as one and say, not in our name, because we were born for such a time as this. This is our time to make a difference. 
You know, let's believe that one day we will see a world where no child is living in extreme poverty. And we can look back and say, we were part of that happening. Actually, we made that difference in that child's life. And now look at what they're doing. You know, you can. You can do it. You know, and I would just encourage you, if you can today, please do. It makes the most incredible, incredible, as Richmond said, you don't know what the life your child's going to look like. But I promise you it's going to be something extraordinary because God's going to be right in the middle of it. But we just pray as I, as I close. Father, I thank you so much for, for what you've shared this morning. Father, thank you for using me to, to minister to, to these people this morning, Lord. And Father, I just pray that you would help us be a church of action, Lord. Help us to be a church that are reaching out to the overlooked and the ignored, Father. Help us to give us eyes to see them, Lord. Give us eyes to see the people that we could be reaching out to. Father, give us open hands, Lord, that what we have is yours, Father, and help us to live that way. Help us to live, God, and surrender to what it is you want us to do. Father, even though it costs us, Father, I pray that you would give us boldness and courage to follow you, no matter what that looks like, Father. And I just pray that over the rest of this service this morning, Lord, you would just go, thank you that you go before us, Lord, and I just pray that you would bless us and that your presence would continue with us, Lord. Amen.